Well, if you've got your Bibles open, perhaps you turn them to um, Colossians chapter 2. And those of you that were here last week will we'll notice that we're, uh, we're starting with the same passage that uh, Dilla uh, helped us through so, so helpfully last week um, at, at verse 6, but, um, but then going on to, to the rest of, the, of, of this, this section. Um, so actually, I, I called this Rooted in Christ. Um, so it's not a bad idea to, to, to hold on to the same analogy. You'll, you'll see, um, we'll come back to that uh, idea of the roots and um, uh, that will come up again. But let, let, let's have a look. Um, hopefully there is uh, on the screen, it's going to be visible. Um, oh, I've got a thing, haven't I, Steve? I've got a thing. Right, okay, here we go. Um, but the first, uh, there's, a, there's about five words, uh, um, six words, that I just want to sort of focus on. Um, in this passage today as we go through this amazing uh, section of this wonderful letter. Um, First of all, conversion. It starts off with these words. You received Jesus Christ as Lord, or Christ Jesus as Lord. That kind of sums up everything about Paul. He received Christ Jesus as Lord on that road to Damascus, and it changed his life forever. Uh, and people who have received Jesus Christ as Lord uh, have changed the world. However bad our world is, there are still amazing things going on throughout this world, and uh, much of it, if you think, um, you know, sometimes my non-Christian friends have had rants on Facebook about, about the church and, you know, um, how pathetic it is and, you know, it doesn't do anything. And I think, well... No, it's just apart from education, hospices, you know, and, and you could go on, couldn't you, food banks, you could go on and say, well, actually, throughout the world, there are amazing things that are, that are going on, uh, which have been inspired by people who can first receive Jesus Christ as Lord. So um, this letter, uh, he is writing to Christians. He is writing to Christians, but he's reminding them and encouraging them in their situation to hang on to what they have. And the Lordship of Christ is a major theme of chapter 2, and indeed chapter 1. We had that incredible passage about the supremacy of Christ, and you can get really excited reading all about, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Um, I don't see how you can read that in a in a kind of a, a passive voice, do you? You know, somebody said to me the other day about, um, about, about vicars, and I said, actually, I think, I think, actually, it's an incredible gift for anyone to turn the gospel into something boring. <laughs> Isn't it? How can you turn this message into something that is boring? It, it's so um, exciting, and it's so radical, um, and, and it's all about the lordship of Christ, And if you look back to that section in uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, you will see um, that it's about Jesus is is about being Lord over all the powers and authorities in this world. And in the universe, in fact. It says here, um, By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And, um, and, and later on it talks about the fact that he, he, he gave his life in order to reconcile to himself all things. This is about the utter lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And um, when people receive Jesus as Lord, there is a conversion process that goes on. Once your life belonged to yourself or whoever you happen to have given it to, but when you become a Christian, it belongs to Jesus. There is a conversion process. But please um, don't forget, actually, Christians are not called to make converts. The very last words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel is to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. So it's great when someone is converted, and you know, especially when you hear a dramatic story, somebody, uh, some of the Alpha videos were incredible. Um, the man that was a really, really hard nut in prison. I mean, he was the toughest guy in the prison. And then one night, uh, it, it, it just, he just struck him. Um, the, 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 the person that he'd met, who was completely vulnerable and weak, had something about them, and, and his whole life was changed uh, overnight. Um, and he became a completely different person. When you hear those stories, it's really great, isn't it? But it's, it's not just about converting people. I think um, we often hear a lot about the, the Muslims like to kind of make a lot of converts. And I'm sure once you get converted, then they, they think they've got you. And, and indeed, Islam is spreading very fast indeed. But actually, Christianity is also spreading fast. But we don't want converts, we want disciples. And so the second part of this uh, thing is all about discipleship. Now you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. It's not going to a a Billy Graham rally and tick in a box and that's it for the rest of your life. Although that may be an incredible significant point. And what an amazing man, Billy Graham. Confidant to how many American presidents, uh, preached to hundreds of millions of people in his lifetime. I remember being in um, a Baptist assembly when Anne Graham Lotz, who's his daughter, was speaking. And, and she said, just a matter of interest, if your life has been affected by my father, Billy Graham, will you put your hand up? And all around the room, there were people who put their hands up because of the ministry of that incredible man. Isn't that fantastic? Well, disciples. But I think people perhaps, there would probably be some people who went to his rallies and decided to go forward and perhaps... They didn't take it any further when they got home. There must be some. I mean, Jesus said there would be, wouldn't it? In, in, in the parable of the sower, there'd be people whose the seed only went into shallow soil uh, or it was crowded around by the, the, the troubles of life and it didn't get any further. But actually, um, he says, continue to live in him. In fact, those of you who like the authorised version might like this one. Walk ye in him. Walk ye, that actually is a better translation because it's about a walk, uh, a Christian walk. Continue to walk, walk ye in him. Uh, and that, that is one of these expressions that Paul uses so often. To be in Christ is to have Christ in you and you in him. It's an incredible relationship. Carry on walking in him. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about the struggles of Paul's Christian life. And how he uses the word struggle quite often to describe his own life. And life is a struggle, and to be a Christian can be an even bigger struggle, especially if you live in a place where you're likely to be persecuted. Um, so to, to walk the life is a struggle, but we must continue to walk in him. It's not about giving up. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, the old, the old chorus goes. It's about continuing to walk in him. In, in order that we might grow um, spiritually. Now, um, some of you may have seen me here on Friday, I think, or was it when, I forget when it was, no, Thursday, for MOT. And I th- we were very down in number, weren't we, Paul? It was you and me and, and Steve, I think. Um, and, um, oh, Robin. Robin was serving us. And I, and I was out in the garden there, um, sweating somewhat with a, a, a spade. And um, I was having great difficulty because I'd kind of spotted something that I fancied in the garden. It was a self-seeded walnut tree. Uh, there's, there's another one out there if anyone wants to have a go at it after, after my talk. But So I started digging it with, with a good spade. I was good size hole, wanted to get a good root ball up with it, so I was digging around and it would not move the soil moved but this tree would not move and eventually um, I I dug the spade down as far as it would go and I found a brick and I was hitting the handle with a brick (laughs) to see if I could get it a bit deeper and eventually up came this walnut tree, well the tree was only about as high as this lectern but the root um was about that thick, about two inches probably at the top, and then it went down and down and down. And I managed to pull up about 18 inches of it, and I'd cut the taproot, and it was even deeper than that. And it's probably only about a three-year-old tree. So by the time I got it out, there was hardly any roots going out sideways, but there was one massive root going down, a taproot. And um, so, uh, obviously, walnut trees know how to, to grow. That's probably why they grow so big. You had to cut one down recently, didn't you, Steve? Um, (laughs) So, that tree is now successfully replanted at the bottom of the manse garden, so a future generation of Baptist ministers will enjoy lots of walnuts, hopefully. Um, So, but it, it just came back to me about if you are rooted that deep, you can't be shaken, can you? And and you're going to go down, you're going to find all the moisture that there is. Um... So, um, I'm not sure whether it comes on here. Oh, yes, there it is. Yeah, very good. And there's, that, there's our little tree, which, uh, which I showed you pictures of before, and I reminded you, actually, it's a bonsai tree. So, although it looks like a big tree, it's actually very small. It's only about a foot, foot or so tall, uh, because somebody's kept cutting its roots and, and cramping its style. It hasn't been able to grow big. Uh, it looks old and, and gnarled, but it's actually not very big. So... If you don't have good roots, you become a bonsai Christian. If you're not rooted, when the storms come, you're likely to be blown over. Uh, you're not going to get the, the sustenance in the drought. Um, we do need to be rooted in Christ as we continue to live in him. And then it goes on to say, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So this walnut tree, which caused me to sweat, had got this massive root And that's what we should have, that really good route down into Christ. And how can we do that? Well, to pray, meditate on the word, to read his word, to make sure that his word is in us. Because, you know, sometimes we we, we need that, just like the the tree uh, planted by streams of water. We need to be in the word of God and in the water that he gives. Obedience. It's all very well having all the head knowledge, but unless you put it into practice, you're not going to grow in the Christian life. 
It's like you know, going to seminary and never coming out and, and actually living and doing work. Um, you, you need to put into practice and exercise the gifts and also to be part of a community. You can't grow as a Christian apart from in a Christian community. Now, okay, there are people who are persecuted in parts of the world where they can't readily meet with Christians, but that's not by their choice. You actually need to be part of a local body of Christ. And even if you have to meet in secret or communicate in circumspect ways, uh, you do need one another. So that's why we need church, to encourage one another. Okay, um, then comes a warning. And the warning um, is, beware deceptive philosophy. Beware deceptive philosophy. Now, we haven't mentioned it at this point, but one of the things that scholars will tell you about the book of Colossians is that one of the reasons Paul wrote it was to kind of refute what is sometimes called the Colossian heresy. There was some kind of false teaching that was prevalent in the church in Colossae that Paul is trying to refute. And um, I love this word, deceptive philosophy, because it's so easy to be swayed, isn't it? You can get some very eloquent speakers who will persuade you that their way of thinking is right. And I hope that you don't think that what I'm saying is right just because it's me that's saying it, but actually because what I'm saying is from the Word of God. Okay, but there are people who will persuade you that their incredible way of thinking, this very clever stuff, is, is right. And therefore you get cults, you know, you even get these people who, you know, were persuaded to all commit mass suicide and, you know, some horrendous things because people get caught up uh, in, in some kind of teaching which is, seems impressive, but actually it's deceptive. And uh, so Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And he uses this word hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow. I, I don't know what you thought about that interview. Um, but, but Richard Dawkins, he's, he's a clever scientist. And generally, he's a good communicator. I don't have a problem with his science. But his philosophy is hollow. He hadn't got anything to say to John Lennox about things like justice. Oh, he says it's a, a kind of a, a human construct. Probably got some kind of explanation in Darwinism. And he hadn't got anything to say, had he, about justice. Uh, because he didn't see that it was relevant to the world. And, and the fact that the whole world is bad, too bad, he said. I mean, what kind of a world is it that, that it, you know, if everything's going to go to this terrible annihilation, too bad? Gosh, what a philosophy is that? And yet a lot of people have been affected by Dawkins and his books. Um, you might be interested to know that... Um, Alistair McGrath wrote a book called The Dawkins Delusion to, uh, to respond to uh, his book, the, the God Delusion. So there's plenty of clever people who are out there who can uh, debate with him. But I, I just felt he hadn't got a leg to stand on when he talks to people who are grounded in philosophy based on Jesus Christ. And these are not just people who are going to sling mud at each other. In actual fact, what, what comes over to, from John Lennox, and I've, I've, I've heard him speak on a couple of occasions, the warmth and actually respect that he was showing for his opponent 
came out of Christian, genuine Christian love. And yet he, he argued with him about what is our philosophy. Well, um, this philosophy, according to Paul, which is based on human traditions and the basic principles of this world. <clears throat> so what is our philosophy based on? Well, that's an interesting word, actually. Um, basic principles. It's, the Greek word is stoikia. And it's a word which can mean a number of different things. It can mean physical components, like physical elements. And in fact, in one place, in, in 1 Peter, uh, when it talks about the elements to be burned up, uh, the NIV uses it, translates it elements, I think falsely in that particular case. Uh, but it can mean physical elements. It can mean spiritual forces or powers um, and I believe that's what Paul is talking about here when he says it's based, this hollow philosophy is based on, on the basic principles of, of, of a world which is not based on God. But actually, the, these are other forces which want to have their sway. And it's not hard to imagine where these forces are active in the world. There are all sorts of power structures which affect whole nations and whole cultures and, and, of people. Um, he said hollow philosophy is based on these basic principles, these stoichia, rather than on Christ. So if we want a, 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 a philosophy that is not hollow and deceptive, we need an antidote. And the antidote is fullness in Christ. Um, fullness in Christ. And here's another wonderful word. In Christ we read in the previous passage, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. That is a wonderful verse, 119, to, um, to, to quote to the Jehovah's Witnesses when they call to your door. <clears throat> because they will try and tell you that Jesus is a son of God and that he is you know, a good man and they say they're Christians. But when you actually tackle them on this bit... Here it says in the Bible, all the fullness of the deity lives in human form. That is such an incredible, strong uh, statement as to who Jesus is. He's not just some clever man. He's not just a guru or a prophet. He is God incarnate. We were singing that in our first hymn, when we? God incarnate, uh, Christ triumphant, incredible words. God with flesh incarnate, with meat. God has become meat. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like these plays of words. but um, Fullness of Christ. Not only is Jesus uh, the fullness of God, but he goes on to say, you have been given fullness in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And I think that was where John Lennox's confidence in that debate came through. He was a man standing who knew what he believed is based on Jesus who is the fullness of God and that that fullness is in him. And it comes over, doesn't it? And if we are built and, and rooted in Christ and we understand that we have fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Wow, that's an amazing taproot, isn't it? So when, when the wind blows, you know, if you've got a taproot as deep as that, 
actually, you're not going to be blown by these debates and these philosophical arguments. And as we went back to chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is our security. That is our antidote to the false teaching of the world. And and I wanted to say that point. We don't have to, uh, as people have argued with me, reject all of the teaching of people like Richard Dawkins in, in a scientific sense in order to reject their philosophy. You can actually say, well, actually, he's got a point that he's making scientifically, but he's, he's missed the point, actually, that it's Christ who is all the fullness in God. And that's, that's my position of standing. Mm. Now, look in verse 12 onwards, and you will see a change in the grammar of this passage. Um, verses 6 to 11, it's all been about you. Let's have a look. You receive Christ, um, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. See that no one takes you captive. Uh, uh, you have been given authority, etc. It's all you. But when it comes to verse 12, it becomes all about God. It talks about here, about faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He cancelled the written code. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you see? It's not about what I can do. It's about what God has done. And it's all in the past tense. Um, And... um, this is where the last point is sealed. You see, for Jewish people, uh, to be sealed as a Jew on the eighth day, the men were circumcised, and that meant uh, a sign of the covenant that God made with his people. And uh, Paul refers to that in this passage. But he says, actually, what I'm talking about is not what you do with a knife on the flesh. is what Christ has done in us through our, if you like, circumcision, our baptism. And he refers to um, this sealing of people who are in Christ, who are baptised into Christ. And I have a, um, a, a certificate on my wall, somewhat faded ink, signed by my dear friend David Richardson, who's been with the Lord for some years now, about my baptism. And it, it, it's important that we look back And we say that that sealed it. When I was baptised, I was... My my faith, my fullness in Christ was sealed in a public way, witnessed by God, witnessed by all those people that saw it. Um, I was buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through faith in God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to say, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave your sins and he cancelled the written code and nailed it to the cross. That's that's exciting. And and what makes me really, really excited is actually um, we're probably going to, we are going to have a baptism here on Easter Day. Because one of our young people has come to me and asked about being baptised. So I'm really excited about that. You don't look excited. 
That is the most exciting thing in the life of the church and, and, and a pastor, particularly, the privilege of being involved in baptising uh, somebody. So I'm really, really excited about that. And if anybody else, um, old or young, uh, wants to come and talk to me about that, I'd be very happy to uh, have a conversation with you about that. And I think that's really exciting. Because, you know, uh, in fact, when Martin Luther used to... Um, when he was struggling and, and he, he took a lot of flack in his life, as well as being not exactly a perfect man, uh, but he, uh, when he was really struggling, he used to say, baptizus sum, which is Latin for I am baptized. It reminds us of the root that we have in Christ. We're baptized into his death and also into his resurrection. The powers and authorities have been destroyed by Christ on the cross. He has triumphed over them by the cross and therefore we should be overflowing with thankfulness. Don't you think that's great? So there we go. Uh, oh, hang on. One more bit. Sealed. Baptised into Christ. That is, the, that is the last bit there. So we, we are converted when we receive Christ as Lord. We, we are told by Paul we must continue to live in him and to walk in him. We must be rooted in Christ. Beware the false deceptive philosophies that try to persuade us of one thing or another and find our antidote in fullness in Christ which is sealed when we are baptised into him not only by water but when the Holy Spirit baptises our hearts seals us in Christ Amen? Yes